Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campus Show, Monday through Friday, we take time to take live questions. However, we don't always have time to get through all the live questions, and because of the Christmas holiday and the break and all that kind of stuff, we got really backed up on all of the questions we had coming in. So what I like to do is, because those questions got sent in, I want to try to get them answered in a timely manner, so we gather them up and we address them here on companion videos, and that is what we're going to do right now. And let's not waste any time and let's dive right into it, shall we? And we're going to start getting caught up here with a question from James L.H. who writes, Hey, John, one of two. Maybe I'm naive, but I've never understood the idea of they hate or disrespect the fans or a character when working on a popular IP. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy, Ryan Johnson, J.J. Abrams over Star Wars, Game of Thrones showrunners, specifically season seven and eight, Zack Snyder, when Superman or Batman kill. There are many more who have this accusation. I might like slash dislike the end result. That's my choice. That means these makers of entertainment went in with the motive of provoking hatred, and that makes no sense. Their intention is to tell a story. Yeah, listen, we as fans... And I, I unfortunately include myself in this and all of us, you do it. I do it. Everybody does it. So let's not point fingers. Um, we as fans have a lot of really miserable habits, let's say. And one of the miserable habits we have, and I think we've all been guilty of this, is when a filmmaker doesn't do something we want them to do in that film, we say they disrespected the fans or they hate the fans. And that's a very, very myopic sort of uh, point of view and, and way of looking at things. Let's be clear about something. When somebody doesn't like something a filmmaker does and they say, that filmmaker disrespected the fans, let's be clear here. You're just mad they didn't do something you wanted them to do. Let's just be clear about that. You're just mad they didn't do something you wanted them to do. And maybe some people you know, and maybe a bunch of other people. But the reality is you and I don't speak for all fans. Let's just be clear about that. that that's, it, always, it always makes me laugh when I hear somebody write, the fans want X. And it's like, I often have to remind people, no, you want X. I happen to know, and maybe I want X too, but I happen to know a lot of fans who don't want that. They want something else entirely. Actually, here's an example. Let me just bring up something here. Um, Rise of Skywalker, Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, so let's let's go on. A, one, let's take one movie here. I hated Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. I hate that movie. <laughs> really, I love The Force Awakens. Love it. I like The Last Jedi. I hated The Rise of Skywalker, but. The reality is, and this is where a lot of film fans lose touch, the reality is a lot of people really liked Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. <clears throat> it's true. Maybe not me, maybe not the, the people in my immediate circles, but a lot of people like Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. As a matter of fact, half the critics did, half of them didn't. I'm one of the half that didn't. But look at the verified audience scores. And remember, Rotten Tomatoes now has a system where they verify somebody actually saw the movie before they allow them to vote. The verified audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of it is 86%. Now, I don't think that's a glo that's globally reflective, but it's, it's still a positive number, right? The first thing to conquering this whole thing 
they disrespected the fans is to understand that, hey, just because you and I didn't like something doesn't mean that aren't a lot of other people who did. And that's the first step. Because that whole thing comes from this sense that a lot of movie fans have that what I want is what everybody wants. And that's simply not true. You know, a lot of people think Man of Steel sucks and everybody hates it. Uh, no, I, I'm a fan and I think Man of Steel is awesome. You know, and, and, and so on and so forth. And so then we take it to this real personal degree that, you know, we get so myopic and we get so self-centered about it. And again, I'm not pointing fingers. This is all of us. We've all done this. That it's like, since you, ex-filmmaker, be you Zack Snyder or J.J. Abrams or whatever, because you didn't do what I wanted you to do, you disrespected me. Oh, grow the F up. Grow the F up. No, the filmmaker, be they you know, J.J. Abrams or Zack Snyder or whichever filmmaker you want. They went in there trying to make the best film possible and they tried to make something that they hoped a lot of people would like. And maybe they were right, maybe they were wrong. But they were trying. It's like Zack Snyder made Batman kill. He disrespected the character. Nope, there's plenty of examples of Batman killing. Plenty. Maybe it's not the, the one you like. Maybe it's not the one I like or whatever, but... There is lots of examples, and he decided to go with that example. And maybe you disagree with it, and that's fine. Just say you don't like that, and you disagree with that. But we got to learn to stop. And again, I'm including all of us in this. We got to learn to stop with this whole, they disrespected the fans by making this creative choice or that creative choice, or whatever. It doesn't mean they made a good choice, but it wasn't disrespect to the fans. It's a fucking movie, okay? A storyteller made a creative decision. And thinking it would work. And for some people it did, for some people it did. But you're right, that is, there is lots of annoying habits we, me, you, all of us have as fans. That is one of the, the annoying habits that we have and we need to get over pretty quick. All right, uh, let's move on here. Next up, uh, that was James L.H. We now move on to The Wakandan Forever. And The Wakandan Forever writes, Yes, John, Wonder Woman 84 is a Christmas movie. It was released on Christmas. What more do you need? Actually, in the last scene happens at Christmas time. There, that makes as much sense as Die Hard being considered a Christmas movie. Anyway, what more do you need? LOL. Happy holidays. Everyone stay safe and looking for a happy new year, uh, 2021, or a happy new year of 2021. Wakanda forever. I know I always get in this debate, but Rob and I even were discussing this today off camera. It's like we got into our is Die Hard a Christmas movie again. Of course, it is not a Christmas movie. It is a movie that happens at Christmas time, uh, but it's no more a Christmas movie than Wonder Woman 84 is. That actually released on Christmas Day, and the last scene happens at Christmas time. There you go. Wonder Woman's a Christmas. Obviously, Wonder Woman's not a Christmas movie. Anyway, but anyway, I know that's a debate everybody can have, and we're gonna have this debate about Die Hard and Christmas Forever. And it's actually a kind of fun debate to have. All right, next up, Sam Fisher writes. Heard that if Duel of the Fates hadn't been written for a movie, it would be regarded as one of the best choral classical pieces of the past two hundred years. You heard that from where <laughs> and from who? Uh, anyway, of the past 200 years. And that is only because of classical elitism and movie music is seen as lesser than straight up classical. Well, Sam, there is there is nothing definitively that says, if this, then that. You know, there's there's no, who, who says? I heard that duel, well, who said that? And, and it doesn't matter who said it. It doesn't, it doesn't make it so and it doesn't make it true. Um, I mean, you look at some of the all-time classical orchestral music is movie music. 
there's a reason why people show up in droves to the John Williams concert every year, to the maestro of the movies thing. And is it seen as lofty as other stuff? Probably not. Uh, maybe not. But this whole thing, that Duel of the Fates, which I love, it's the best thing that came out of the prequels. Duel of the Fates is, is one of the best things to come out of the prequels, if not the best thing to come out of the prequels. It's magnificent. Would it be actually considered one of the best pieces of choral classical pieces of the past 200 years had not? I doubt it. I doubt it. And I say that as somebody who deeply loves it, but eh, there's that. All right. Can 2020 end yet? Right. So I can watch Cobra Kai when the ball drops. I can't wait. Also, I saw that's right, because they moved the release date of Cobra Kai up to January 1st. So those of you who've been waiting for Cobra Kai, good news. You're going to get to watch it a little bit earlier. Uh, also, I saw people recommending Kingdom, so I looked it up. That's the MMA show that I haven't watched. Did you know on Rotten Tomatoes it has an 88% critic score and a 97% audience score? So I gave it a shot, and I've been season one. It's great so far. Well, add that one to another vote. I, for those of you who don't know, I've been having a bunch of people telling me, John, you really need to check out Kingdom. Um, and I've had really no interest in watching Kingdom. I, the trailers didn't interest me. And I have a couple of friends, not many, but I have a couple of friends who saw it that didn't like it. So I've just had no interest. But I'm having more and more people tell me I should check it out. So I don't know. Maybe a few more and I'm going to have to do that. Thanks for the recommendation, uh, Can2020. Uh, John Campy's new pool writes, Wonder Woman 84, boring, underwhelming, a disappointment. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would call Wonder Woman, personally, I don't think I would call it boring. I found it underwhelming. I found it to be a disappointment. I didn't necessarily find it boring, though. Um, in my laundry list of criticisms for it, boring wouldn't be one of the ones I would I would personally put in there. But they yeah, again, we did an entire, basically five and a half hours of spoiler discussion on Wonder Woman 84. And I... You know, I, I spent a lot of it just talking about the things that I wish had been better. You know, at the end of the day, I don't think, again, I've been saying this a lot the last few days. I don't consider Wonder Woman 84 to be the complete train wreck of a movie that some people make it out to be. But there's no getting right. I also don't think it was very good. Uh, I, I, I was disappointed with it. I was more disappointed with it the second time I watched it. But eh, it is what it is. Can't win them all. Move on to the next one. All right. Next up. Uh, Ronan writes, watched uh, the best of John Schnepp videos on YouTube. Those are fun. And a lot of the videos had you on Collider with him. Looks like you two had tremendous chemistry and you in particular had a great time working with him. I don't think I've seen anyone that made you laugh as hard. I, I've I've been very lucky uh, in my career going all the way back to the movie blog days of working with a lot of people who are really good at making me laugh uh, right up at least near the top was John Schnepp. Schnepp just had a terrific way of, of really making me laugh. And very quickly, like when I first brought him on to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy, that was the first thing we worked on. And, you know, he and I talked afterwards, say, man, that was really good. We enjoyed working together. Let's do this again. And the rest became history. I pretty quickly, after a few months, I really learned, we developed a really good shorthand and I learned how to set him up. Like, I learned enough about how he functioned on camera that I knew, okay, if I say this a certain way, he'll probably go off on this. And I just learned how to set him up that way. And he was tremendously, like, he was a very rare mix of a lot of truly, he was an encyclopedia of knowledge, but he was also, you know, in the best term, in the best way possible, a jester. 
like incredible depth of knowledge with a jester's delivery, you know, that there was this magnetic charisma about him. Uh, and you get a lot of guys who have a lot of knowledge, not great on camera. You have a lot of guys that are like, whoa, like really wild personalities, but don't bring a lot of depth of knowledge uh, uh, along with it. Schnepp was a very rare combination of both. And it made it a pleasure to do shows with him and all that kind of stuff. So yes, uh, for those years that I did shows with John Schnepp, I, I really enjoyed that, uh, that particular stretch of my career. I did. Thanks for that, Ronan. All right. Yellow CT writes. My birthday is New Year's Eve, and quite frankly, it sucks. I've never had a proper birthday. Dude, I've got an old friend of mine named Dave uh, whose birthday is literally on Christmas Day. You know what? Damn it. This was the first year I forgot to write to him happy birthday. I have I actually haven't seen Dave in, in years because you know, he's up in Canada, but I would still remember to write happy birthday to him on Christmas, and I forgot this year. Damn. But anyway, so you think you had it bad. My bu- buddy's birthday was on Christmas. Anyway. I've never had a proper birthday party. So for the last few years, I've packed up a bag and traveled somewhere fun to celebrate. That sounds like a great idea. This year, I was supposed to go to New Zealand. Ouch. Anyway, this year is just me and the dog watching the Lord of the Rings. Not a bad substitute. Uh, Thank you, John, for being my daily bright spot. And to everyone listening, happy new year. Well, thanks a lot for that yellow. Yeah. And listen, it so many things about this year sucks. (laughs) And, you know, Coming to the end of the year, we're just reminded again. Ann and I were talking about this, that uh, we're going to be globally reminded again of, of what's going on with the pandemic, like what we normally do on Christmas Eve. We were probably, I think last year we decided we were going to spend New Year's Eve in Vegas this year. We've done that twice. Vegas is really fun at New Year's. Vegas is normally fun, but Vegas at New Year's is a total hoot. But uh, obviously not doing that. Ann and I, we have ordered a steak dinner from Morton's. And we're going to sit in and probably watch some movies and hang out with our dogs and just enjoy the evening in on New Year's Eve. I hope you have a good one, though, Yellow CT. So happy birthday to you, my friend. All right, next up, Orange Hand writes, so what makes someone a true film critic versus a regular audience member? Uh, Johns and Stuckman are considered critics. Depends who you ask. Uh, but I'm not sure just anyone can post a YouTube uh, movie review and be counted alongside them or the folks at Deadline, The Hollywood Reporter, Variety, etc. Here's the thing, Orange Hand. Um, the problem with it is there is no one true definition of what is a film critic. It's kind of like what is a movie spoiler? Nobody, nobody agrees on what is a spoiler, right? At least to certain degrees, like telling people, Hey, in sixth sense, Bruce Willis is a ghost the whole time. Okay. I think everybody can agree. That's a spoiler, but what about when you can get get into more gray area? What happens if you get into more gray area? Like what if you say in the Mandalorian, you know, season finale, They get aboard Moff Gideon's ship. Some people will think that's just a procedural piece of information from the show. It doesn't reveal a major plot development or anything, so it's not a spoiler. But there are some people who'd say, like, dude, like, really? They get aboard Moff Gideon's ship? And some people would consider that a spoiler. Or go even more extreme. Take a movie like Heat. A movie that everybody knows has Robert De Niro and Al Pacino in it. But if you say, uh, there's a scene in Heat where you know, Pacino and De Niro are having dinner. Whoa, 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 wait, whoa, spoiler. What? Just telling you there's a scene where they're having dinner, is that's a spoiler? And there's a scene where they're driving in a car. Ah, ah, 
it? Spoiler. Like, so nobody agrees on the definition of a spoiler. We all understand spoilers. We have all have a general concept of spoilers, but nobody has the exact same definition of spoilers. Film critic is kind of the same thing. Like doctor, you got to have your MD or your PhD or something like that. I mean, then your doctor. Anne is probably going to be going to get her PhD here pretty soon, and she'll be Dr. A-Cakes. A-Cakes is one of her nicknames. Dr. Anne. A-Cakes. Um, there's something, but there's, there's nothing that really says it about a film critic. Now, so for me, I don't consider my, like, YouTubers, including me, by the way, I don't consider YouTubers uh, proper film critics. Sometimes I'll tell people when they ask me, what is it I do? Uh, sometimes I'll say film critic because that's what they'll understand. Like it's hard to explain. I am a commentator and pundit on daily movie news. What do you mean by that? Like some people won't just won't get what it is I'm trying to say. So just to keep the conversation short, I say a uh, film critic, right? But I'm not a film critic. I'll review movies. Everybody can review movies. I'll, I'll review movies, but I'm not truly a film critic, but that's only by my own definition. There are lots of people who would consider me a film critic, who would consider certain other YouTubers film critics, and there's nothing wrong with that definition. For, for me, I don't know. In my head, I have it. If you are an employed, uh, tenured person at a major trade, Deadline, Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, those are film critics. Time Magazine, you know, whatever, Rolling Stone, that's a film critic. But again, I can't back that up. That's just kind of my interpretation of it. And everybody has a different interpretation. So you can consider anybody, anybody who picks up their phone and hits record and does a 30 second review. This movie sucked ass. And you can consider that kid a film critic. If that's, you know, fits your definition and it is what it is. It, it, it all depends. So there's no right and wrong answer to that, unfortunately, Orange Hand. Uh, there's no absolute right or wrong answer to that. Okay, next up. Man of Tomorrow writes, one of two. Always to each their own, but the DCEU is just not for me. That's fair enough. Realistically, how much longer do you think it will be before we see a completely rebooted Justice League? I am dying to see the original seven founders on screen together with a new cast. With most of the DCU movies not living up to their box office potential, Batman vs. Superman, Justice League, and or have not had an overwhelming positive response from critics and audiences, Man of Steel, Aquaman, Wonder Woman 84. Aquaman had a pretty good response, actually. Uh, maybe not Wonder Woman 84, but Aquaman did. Um, uh, thought maybe we'd see a fresh start sooner rather than later. Hey, listen, I actually believe for a while there was a good amount of time. And let me just look this up here quick. Uh, there was a period of time when, Am when uh, the DCU was going through this crux of things were going pretty badly for them. And they had to make a decision about what to do. I personally, like you, um, advocated for a philosophy of let's reboot. I advocated for a reboot. I thought, you know what? Just start fresh. Have a fresh sheet of paper. Bring in a new creative head, completely unshackled by anything that came before. You know, people like me who absolutely worshipped Man of Steel, that movie is still there. It may not be in the new DC universe, but that movie is still there and I can always treasure it and love it. And it's fine. Start fresh. 
they made another decision though, which is which was fine to let's see if we can rehabilitate the DCU as we continue moving forward. And for the most part, they've actually done a pretty good job, right? Aquaman was a win. Not only was it a big financial hit, like I knew Aquaman would be a hit film. I knew it would make a lot of money. I never thought it would make a billion dollars. To be fair to myself, nobody thought it would make a billion dollars, but I never thought Aquaman, I laughed at the idea that Aquaman would make a billion dollars. I knew it would be a hit. I knew it would make lots of money. Never thought it would make a billion. And it made a billion dollars. Made a billion dollars. Had the, the majority, a good portion, majority of the film critics liked it. It had a 65% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That means like that 65% of the critics liked it versus only 35% that didn't. Uh, it had a 74% audience rating. I mean, it was a true legitimate win. Wonder Woman was a big win for them. Well, that, that was a little bit earlier, but still. Uh, then you had Shazam, which is one of... it's Shazam is actually my second favorite DCEU movie behind Man of Steel. I had, I, now, granted, I like Shazam a lot more than most people, but I adore Shazam. I love that movie. I cannot wait for them to do another one. Uh, one of the reasons I'm really looking forward to Black Adam as well. They had their Joker movie that won Oscars and again, broke the billion dollar mark. And yes, hey, listen, call both sides of the coin. They also had Birds of Prey, which was my the first DCU movie that I didn't like. Uh, and they have Wonder Woman 84, which is the second DCU movie I didn't like. But, you know, they've got a number of big wins. I think Man of Steel is an all-time winner. Wonder Woman, the first one, was a big win. Aquaman was a big win. I think Shazam was a solid win. Joker was clearly a solid win. So even though I thought the best course of action was reboot fresh slate just a clean sheet of paper start again they went another way and they've had a decent amount of success with it so we'll see what happens as they move forward let's see if this flash movie ever actually starts shooting <laughs> right let's see what happens with that let's see what happens with whatever movies come after that if they have two or three losses in a row maybe we have to revisit this question and yeah, they just, they're coming off of a questionable effort with Wonder Woman 84. But I mean, if, if the Flash movie's great, they've got a really good director. So if the Flash movie's great, and if they do one or two other films that, that do quite well, then, then they're perfectly fine. So it might be a while, man, of tomorrow. It might be a while before you see it rebooted. So we'll have to wait and see. All right, next up. Uh, Ronan writes, I'm going to be honest. I just don't understand Star Wars. They're Jedi versus Sith and Yoda. Oh, let me try this again. I'm going to be honest. I don't understand Star Wars. They're Jedi versus Sith and love Yoda. But I was looking through Jedi history videos and the Jedi are kind of evil with their child soldier model. But is it, but is it cut and dry story based on perspective? Thanks. I mean, listen. There is, it all de depends on what you're talking about. A lot of that stuff people still lean back on was the expanded universe stuff, which is not canon and all that kind of stuff. Like Chewbacca didn't die by getting hit by a moon anymore. That's really a thing that happened in the expanded universe. Je Chewie died by getting hit by a moon. Yeah, he did. Heroically trying to save Han's kids, but still... He died by getting hit by a moon. Anyway, 
Um, so I listen, I really wouldn't go into that stuff. I would, I really wouldn't worry about it at all. None of that stuff plays out in the movies and that's really ultimately all that really counts. So I wouldn't worry about it, Ronan. All right. Next up, uh, Warner brother writes, get it. Warner brother, uh, enjoyed your video review of wonder woman, 1984. I thank you very much, man. I like the first wonder woman, Aquaman, Shazam, Joker, and Harley Quinn birds of prey, but wonder woman 84 didn't work for me mostly because of the script slash plot. I think the problem is Jeff Johns rather than Patty Jenkins or Gal Gadot. Uh, do you think he's the issue? I'm not in the room. I don't know. I'll say this. When I look back at the various television and movies that Patty Jenkins has done, her very decorated um, career, I said this to Rob, I think on the show earlier today, I watched Wonder Woman 84 and it just did not, like if I watched Wonder Woman 84, I never would have guessed that Patty Jenkins directed it. It just didn't feel like a Patty Jenkins movie. Could the fault lie with Jeff Johns? Maybe, but we, we just, there's no way of saying definitively that's true or not. Like we weren't in the room. We can speculate and we can guess. And I still remember when Jeff Johns and guys like him, I still remember back in the AMC days, it might've been in the collider days. I can't remember when people like Jeff Johns were being promoted. Everybody got excited. This is awesome because nobody knows the comics like they do. And I'm like, yeah, but I was the one guy and I took a lot of crap from people. I took a lot of crap from people, but I was like, call me crazy, but I want people who know how to make movies in these executive positions. The comics are great, but the comics are the comics. The movies are the movies. Like you think Kevin Feige was a comic book writer before he became the executive of Marvel? No, I, I just call me crazy. I think movie people should be in charge and writing movies, not comic book writers. Nor do I think movie writers should be writing comic books. They're two different sets of skills. One isn't better than the other. It's just that they're different. Wayne Gretzky is probably the greatest hockey player, maybe the greatest professional athlete of all time. Ask him if I want him throwing the free throws to win the, champ the NBA championships for the Toronto Raptors. No, because yes, he's an athlete, but hockey is different than basketball. Writing comics is different than writing movies. How things come across on a printed page with ink and paper is vastly different how it comes across on a moving picture on a screen. And so I was always kind of like, hey, listen, I love Jeff Johns and everything, but I, I, I was not big on him being elevated in the movie ranks. But listen, for all we know, maybe without Jeff Johns, Wonder Woman 84 would have been infinitely worse. We don't know. So is that a possibility? It's a possibility that maybe the fault with uh, the failings of Wonder Woman 84 lie with Jeff Johns. Possibility. But I, there's just not evidence there for us to believe that as fact. Is it possible? Sure. But maybe it's possible it was better because he was there. So uh, just something to keep in mind. All right. Warner Brother also writes, Wonder Woman 84, 6.7 out of 10 for me. That's actually not a bad score. 6.7 out of 10 is a pretty good score. Anyway, wasn't the only disappointing film I watched this weekend. I, I watched Soul 6.5 out of 10. I thought Soul was a better film than Wonder Woman 84. That's just me. I watched Soul 6.5 out of 10 and hated the ending. Spoiler alert. Uh, well, then we're just not going to read the spoiler alert. Um, but here, here's, here's a, I know you didn't mean anything by it. Guys, saying spoiler alert doesn't help. 
Saying spoiler alert doesn't help <laughs> when you're just writing it in, right? So anyway, personally, I thought the movie was really solid. I thought it was really good. And I love the way it ended. Just me personally, I love the I love the true moral of the story. I thought it was fantastic. Not one of the absolute best Pixar films. So I thought it was a wonderful film. I definitely thought it was be the better film out of that and Wonder Woman 84. But that's just me. All right, thanks for writing that in, Warner Brother. All right, Ezra West writes, so everyone who made a wish renounced their wish. I'm supposed to believe a kid who wished his grandma was cured from cancer was like, sorry, grandma, I have to renounce my wish because the TV told me so. What about the people who stopped watching TV? Uh, well, listen, we've talked about that a lot. I mean, the notion that everybody renounced their wish is preposterous, right? The, the, the better example um, then the grandma a kid wishing his grandma was cured from cancer. The better example is a parent who wished for their terminally ill child to be healthy. You think to hell with it. The world can burn as far as a parent is concerned. They're not going to undo that wish. Now, some people tried to say something that was never expressed in the movie, which was when Max Lord renounced his wish that automatically unwished all the people who made the wishes through him. Which makes no sense because if that's the case, why did Diana have to give her big speech at the end of the movie? So ultimately her big speech at the, I wasn't talking to you. Her big speech at the end of the movie was completely and utterly pointless, which makes the movie even dumber. If Diana's big, if the whole movie was this giant buildup, the lessons Diana had learned from Themyscira about the truth, and the truth is all that matters, Diana. And all she learned through getting Steve back and having to let him go and all of that, and the big climax of all of that, the entire movie was a buildup to that moment that Diana gives her big speech to all the people of the world who magically were able to hear her, but was able to give that big speech to the whole world if you're, if you're saying something that the movie itself didn't say, which was by Max Lord renouncing his wish, everybody else's wishes became moot, then that rendered Diana's entire speech, the whole point of the movie, the whole buildup of the movie, completely pointless and meaningless. So it's, it's a pick your poison type of situation, right? But yeah, it, it's a problematic one way or it's problematic the other. You got to pick your poison on it. All right. Ezra West writes. Every country in the world launched nukes at each other. So the next day, America is going to forget Russia tried to nuke them and vice versa. All is forgiven? No. Even though the nukes were wished away, they still launched. WW3 uh, should have started. Well, I mean, maybe yes, maybe no. The reality is the president understood. Remember, they kind of set this up in the movie. That us magically, all of a sudden, Russia sees that we have thousands more nukes than we did before. They see that as an act of aggression. And it started this escalation thing. And then they saw what happened and blah, blah, blah. You got a fresh piece of paper? I don't know. Maybe it's all right. Uh, with all the little fine pick, uh, pick, uh, fine point problems I had with the movie, that particular one was not one of them. I was actually okay with the way they executed that part. All right. Uh, Q, Caillou, Caillou writes... 
I'm not familiar with Wonder Woman comic lore when it comes to powers, but during the entire flying scene, all I could think was she better be fa- uh, falling with style a la Buzz Lightyear. Steve Trezor- Trevor was the best part of the movie. Steve Trevor was the best part of the movie. There are a number of things about Wonder Woman 84 that I appreciated. The music was one of them. Uh, I liked uh, Kristen Wiig's performance very much. But again, Chris Pine, like he did in the first Wonder Woman, Chris Pine was the backbone of the movie. Chris Pine's Steve Trevor character was the absolute backbone of the movie. He was fantastic in it. That doesn't mean I like everything that they had Steve Trevor say or do, but Pine's performance was great. And for the most part, they did do really good things with Steve Trevor. And I liked his character very much. And again, I I agree. I think his character was the best part of the movie. Much like I thought his character was the best part of the movie in the first one as well. All right. Uh, Victor writes, greetings from Sweden. Oh, thank you so much for writing it from Sweden, man. Um, do you think we'll get another Friday, the 13th movie in the foreseeable future? Probably. Um, it would actually be the 13th movie in the franchise. I didn't realize that. I know they're in the midst of a lawsuit right now, but have you heard any updates on that? Thanks. No, it looked like about two or three years ago. It looked like some deals because there's a bunch of intertwining rights issues that have made it impossible for anybody to have the rights definitively to go ahead and make a uh, Friday the 13th movie. About two or three years ago, maybe four years ago, it looked like some deals were about to be made that was going to clear the way for another Friday the 13th movie. And then I heard that, nope, that those deals never went through and just the entanglement of all the various rights issues and this writer from the original movie has rights and this person has these rights and blah, blah. And it just made this entire tangled web. As far as I know, and I could be mistaken about this, as far as I know, um, these are still issues that are being litigated. As far as I know, I could be wrong about that. Maybe it is all cleared up. But listen, there's a movie franchise that's lucrative. There's money to be made for everybody. Maybe not, you know, Star Wars, Marvel, DC level money, but there's money to be made. And at some point when there's money to be made, Uh, People, even who hate each other, will find a way to come to an agreement to make money. Sometimes greed is good. As Gecko said, greed is good. Greed works. And sometimes greed will fix a problem. And I think Friday the 13th will be one of those things that eventually fixes that problem. All right, next up. Uh, Eddie Burton writes, One of the coolest Hollywood stories for me is Stallone's quest to direct an Edgar Allan Poe biopic. He's claimed to have written several drafts dating all the way back to the 1970s, and there's even pics of him dressed as Poe for still images. I'm not aware of this one. I thought no studio would do it because it simply wasn't a good script. But then I thought Scorsese had the same issue with The Irishman, and that turned out great. Well, Scorsese, yeah, I I wouldn't try to compare those two situations at all. Uh, do you think it would ever get made and maybe even a streaming service might be interested in making it? Well, look, whenever you ask the question, you know, we often say in this show, whenever you ask a question that has the word could or ever in it, the answer is always yes. Could XXXX happen? Yes, it could. May not be likely, but it could happen. Do you think they will ever make a Star Wars episode 10? Ever? Yeah. Ever? Yeah, that's a long time, man. Yes. Someday they'll make a Star Wars episode 10. Maybe it'll be in five years. Maybe it'll be in 50 years. I don't know, but someday we're going to get a Star Wars episode 10. 
when it comes to uh, like all the streaming services, they're all going to be desperately looking to make content. And if Sylvester Stallone is willing to make such a film for cheap enough and is able to have the right, the correct rights to do it, yes, at some point, some streaming service will probably give him the right amount of money. They may not give him $40 million, but they might give him the right amount of money to do it. I, can he do it while he's still, before he retires? I don't know. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. Stallone doing Edgar Allan Poe doesn't sound like a winner to me right now. Um, but who knows? Anything's possible, man. Anything's possible. And I didn't even know about this Edgar Allan Poe thing of his. That's one that I wasn't aware of unless I knew it at one point and forgot, but I, I wasn't aware of that one. That's actually a pretty cool story. Thank you for sharing that, Eddie. All right, next up. Suthius writes, Hey guys, Soul is now in my top three Pixar along with Inside Out and Toy Story 3. Just like Inside Out, it's a very brilliant movie with such create with such creativity of visually showing us what happens with the human body, spirit, and soul. A movie with such a message that it's beyond our understanding of life for some of us. Pete Doctor is four out of four for me. Monsters Inc. Up, Inside Out, and Soul. Peter Doctor is crushing it, man. And he's not just directing great movies for Pixar now. Peter Doctor is the head of Pixar now. He holds the old position that John Lasseter used to hold. Uh, he's their new guy. And you're right. He is four for four. Uh, such mature themes with these movies that he's directed. Hope to see more Pixar with him. And we will, because he's the main guy at Pixar. I don't personally hold Soul in as high regard as you do. Uh, I, I did think it was great. I enjoyed it very much. I don't quite like it as much as, say, Up or Wally or Inside Out or a, a couple of other ones. But it is a truly worthy Pixar film. And, and the meaning of the film, the moral of the story of the film, the ending message of the film was very profound and unlike a lot of other stuff I've seen in other movies. So yeah, I, I truly enjoyed it, Suthius. Not quite as much as you, but I truly enjoyed it. All right, next up, uh, Mark M. writes, Hey, John, I'm 25 and just started watching Star Wars. Nice. Seen episodes one through six uh, now and like them. Can you explain how Vader became the world's big bad or recognized big bad when to me he seemed just like muscle muscles while the emperor was in charge and he turned and he turned back? Well, you have to go. Well, just first of all, throw away episodes one through three. I always throw away the prequels. Just throw those away. There are those who love the prequels, and that's awesome. I celebrate that. But if you're asking me, throw the prequels away. But that's just me. You got to understand, when Vader first popped on the scene back in, what year was 77? When Vader popped on the scene, it was this very rare, and so many movie villains have tried to copy the Vader formula of this visually intimidating, terrifying figure with that voice of James Earl Jones and this quiet sense in, in the first film, especially this quiet, quiet sense of dread and menacing was carried a charisma with it that was like, had never been seen before. Right. From that first th the scene when he walks you know, onto the tent of through the smoke of the blaster gunfight and that music, duh, 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 and he comes through the smoke and he's looking, 
And he's looking side to side at the fallen bodies on the floor and walks through. You know, what about the Senate? Leave that to me. And then he goes in there and then he's in that meeting with all the generals on the Death Star. You're right. These all these big, important people. And he just doesn't even have a chair at the table. He's just walking around the table. La, 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 la. All these big, important military generals and moths and whatever. Grand moth at the table. And the fact that somebody says something he doesn't like. Don't try to scare us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Your sad devotion to that ancient religion hasn't conjured up. The, you know, he gives that whole speech. He was disrespecting the V, man. He was disrespecting the V. And Vader's like, oh, you think you're a big shot, huh? I'm just going to right here in front of all of your friends here. I'm going to choke you to death. And as I'm choking you to death, no one's going to do anything about it. They're all just going to sit in their little chairs and crap their pants as I do it because I'm Darth Vader. And it's time for you to be reminded of that. And even Moff Tarkin, who, you know, was in charge at that point, even Moff Tarkin, who was in charge at that point, even he hesitated. Even Tarkin was like, Ooh, he's, he's choking that fool. That guy's going to die. This fool's going to die. Wait a minute. How will that look? If I, I let one of these high-ranking dudes get murdered on my watch. Okay, Vader, stop. Enough. And Vader's like, cool, as you wish. Now, we learn a little bit more through other stuff about the role between... Uh, there's a great, 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 great Star Wars novel called Tarkin that really does kind of set up and illustrate the relationship between Tarkin and Vader. Uh, that is canon, as much as Lucasfilm has canon anymore, but it is canon. And it gives a lot of insight. Anyway, I'm sorry. I can get on about Vader all day and talk about, but it was the the likes, it was a villain, the likes of which the big screen had never really seen before. And then they just cemented that with Empire and Jedi. And it just became one of the, to this day, the greatest film villain of all time. Now, your perception of that could be skewed if you started your Star Wars journey with the prequels with the I hate sand guy. It, it, I can understand how your perception of Vader, once you get to a new hope, became a little bit pre-shaded, if you will, if you started with the prequels. But just, you're going to take my word for it. If you had started with Star Wars episode for a new hope, uh, even today, it's it has a different impact. But at the time, especially, that's where he really cemented his place in film history. That's just my take on it, but I'm a Star Wars fanboy, in case you couldn't tell. Anyway, thanks for that, Mark. All right, next up, Good Canadian Kid writes, one of three. I feel that Wonder Woman's success is due largely to the fact that it heavily borrowed themes and plot points from Captain America, the, uh, the first Avenger. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Uh, a noble soldier warrior who does their part in ending evil in times of war, facing a threat far greater than what they can overcome on their own, falling in love and building bonds. Uh, in the third act, at the culmination of it all, both male leads named Steve, both blue-eyed, blonde-haired stuff. Yeah, but those are characters that have been in the comics forever. That's not one movie made in the 2010s copying another one. Uh, male leads named Steve, both blue-eyed, blonde-haired studs, hop in an aircraft on an altruistic kamikaze mission for the greater good. Um 
where we going to. I, I'm not a part of this toxic Marvel versus DC nerd war. I just feel like a lot of Wonder Woman was uh, derivative of what Captain America, the first Avengers did first. I don't blame Warner Brothers, copy other success. I just wanted to put that out there. I like Captain America better as a whole, though. I, I don't I don't agree in the least. Listen, you, here's here's the thing. There are so many movies that if you want to break them down to their very core building blocks, you can make an argument about any movie that you like being a copy of 500 other films. Like if you want to reduce it down to their core building blocks, right? Let's look at Captain America for a second. The whole thing about Captain America particularly the first Avenger. What was the main story of that movie? It's about this kid, this scrawny kid, just with a a great heart. But this scrawny kid who's got a good heart, he's had it tough. But even though he's had it tough, and even though he gets bullied, a guy who's in charge of a super soldier program recognizes that really the one who deserves it was this heart. You know, because you are a good man, right? Rather than all these big hulky soldier boys that, you know, they wanted him to pick, the the, the doctor to pick, he picked this scrawny little guy because of his character and his heart and who was willing to fight and serve and die for his country. Felt he, he owed it to his country to do that. And so he volunteered became a part of the military, became a part of the super soldier thing. And then he was able to bring that heart that now had a body that could do the things with it that his body could do. And at the end of it, that's the story of Captain America, particularly in the first Avenger. Now let's go over and look at Wonder Woman. That's a completely different movie. A goddess girl born on a mythical island of Amazonian warriors who was fathered by Zeus himself. When a stranger makes the way to their world, she takes on a new mission, tries to go and hunt down the god of Ares with a god killer sword and things like this and blah, blah. When you So really, when you actually look at the what the narrative of the, the movie is, Captain America, the first Avenger, is nothing like Wonder Woman. They both happen in a war. Well, yes, but I can name you a thousand movies that happened during a war. They both have a character named Steve. True, but that harkens back to media of Captain America and Wonder Woman that predates either of us being alive on this planet. That had nothing to do with one movie copying another. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I see where you're saying from, but but... The point to me is that I try to emphasize to friends of mine is that if like, let's look at, at something like um, uh, Dances with Wolves and Avatar, right? While one doesn't have alien creatures, the core fundamental story is the same, right? When you look at Dances with Wolves and Avatar, even James Cameron has himself referred to Avatar as Dances with Wolves in Space. Even James Cameron acknowledges that. But Dances with Wolves and Avatar are is a plot point by plot point, story beat by story beat, 
extremely similar one to the other. If you want to get down to plot by, by plot point by plot point, story beat by story beat, Captain America, the first Avenger and Wonder Woman are completely different films. You can look at elements that have some similarities, but I contend they are completely different films from each other. And they're both great. I, I personally think Captain America, the first Avenger is a underrated movie. I think it is the third most underrated comic book movie in history. My number one most underrated, you know, you all know what I'm going to say. The number one most underrated comic book movie of all time to me is Man of Steel. The second most underrated comic book film of all time is Kenneth Branagh's Thor. And the third most underrated comic book film of all time is Captain America, the first Avenger. I think for whatever reason, people do not want to give that movie its due. That movie is great. I think I even prefer it a little bit more than the, the, I love the first Wonder Woman film, but even I think the first Captain America, I think I preferred a little bit more than the original Wonder Woman movie. But did the Wonder Woman movie copy Captain America? No. Just guess what? Lots of movies take place in wars. And so I I thought it worked really well. I thought it worked really well. And I didn't think one was copying the other, especially when you break it down to its actual story points. Anyway, that's just my take on it. All right. Philadelphia Freedom writes, Hey, John, kind of not all on board with your passionate defense of Tom Cruise. He's one of the most powerful movie stars in the world, a role model. Is it okay for his fans to treat others uh, that way because because he did? What about kids who heard him on tape? Yes. Like, I I don't care. I I absolutely 1,000% stand behind uh, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise did not walk into some grocery store and saw some random person doing something that he personally didn't like and started chewing him out. That wasn't the situation. Tom Cruise is a boss, literally. I'm not talking about that. That dude's a boss. No, no, no. Not figuratively. Literally. He is a boss on the set of a movie where there are incredibly strict and important health and safety rules in place for the safety of everybody on that cast and crew, hundreds of people, and that the very existence of that movie project that employs all these people hinges on it. A movie project that had already been shut down twice and cost the production hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, because of those shutdowns. And because so much of the movie industry was facing these things, a lot of movies are not in production that are supposed to be out of production, which means tens of thousands of movie professionals are out of work. They're not collecting paychecks. They're not paying their rent. They're not paying their bills because movies aren't in production. And here you have Tom Cruise's movie that had already been shut down twice. And then he comes across a couple of individuals that it came out, they had already been warned about this before. They had been caught before breaking the health code violations. That puts them at risk. That puts the lives and health of the other people they work with at risk and puts the entire production at risk, which is going to take away everybody's jobs and cost the people who are paying for it millions of dollars. And I'm sorry, but grow the F up. If you're these guys on that set, grow the F up. And so they completely, completely deserved to get a verbal beatdown. Absolutely. They put themselves at risk. They put their 
their fellow workmates' health at risk. They put everybody's jobs at risk. They put everybody's well-being at risk. They put the production at risk, something that had already been shut down twice. And these jackasses just thought, nah, we don't have to follow the rules right now. Nope, nope. I'm more important than everybody else's health, than this production, than everybody's jobs. We're more important. And they had already been warned. This isn't some random guy who walks into a 7-Eleven and sees somebody doing something they don't like and chewing them out when they had no place to do that. This was their boss in a work environment where these employees were putting everybody's lives at risk. And he yelled at them. Rightfully so. And it just it's amazing to me that there are some people out there that that are that are like everybody is such a little precious princess these days. You can't yell at people. Yeah, you can. Grow up. You know, I, I told the story before, but I used to work in a law firm, and you know, my boss, who I love my boss, love my boss. He he's passed away, unfortunately. He was a really cool dude. I loved my boss. Wade Fernahow. He's a great dude. And I remember this one time, I made this mistake and he caught the mistake. And it's a mistake I shouldn't have made. And it could have cost him thousands of dollars. Could have cost him thousands of dollars out of his pocket because of my stupid mistake. And he came in my office, he chewed me out. And guess what? I respected him for it. And I never made that mistake again. He didn't fire me. He could have walked in there and said, you just cost me thousands. You could have cost me thousands of dollars if I didn't catch your stupid mistake. It was a rookie mistake that you made. It was an obvious mistake to make. Just because you were lazy and going and how you do it, you weren't paying attention to the details of the file, and it could have cost me thousands of dollars. And he would have been totally within his rights to come in there and say, You nearly cost me thousands of dollars. I have employees to make me money, not to cost me money. You're gone. Pack your bags, you're out. But he didn't. He wanted me to learn a lesson. He wanted to drive it home strong and because he wanted me to be better. And guess what? I continued to work there after that. Love the guy. Love the guy. Now, I could have been a precious little princess and go, he yelled at me. He yelled at me. I could have done that. Gone home and cried. Quit my job. I could have done that, but I didn't. Because I knew he was absolutely right. And I wasn't putting people's lives at risk. That's the thing. I think some morons, not you, but I think some morons like these guys who were on the set of that movie. That's what I think some of these morons don't get. They don't put these rules in place just for the hell of it. This is an industry that has lost tens of billions of dollars, tens of thousands of people out of work, people dying. And Tom Cruise, the boss of all that, caught these guys who had already been been thinking, and I'm sorry, you will never convince me that Tom Cruise yelling at them and not firing them. That's the thing. I, I, I cannot believe he had so much patience with them that he could have just walked in the room and said, you? He could have walked in the room calmly and said, gentlemen, your services will no longer be required. You're not going to be able to pay rent this month because you just lost your job. Uh, your services are no longer required. You've been warned before. You're putting all of us at risk. Get out. He could have said that calmly. And I can't believe there are still some people out there that think that's what would have been better. Instead, he went in them, gave them a tongue lashing, 
and said, don't do it again or you're fired. He let them keep their jobs. I, I would not have had that kind of patience, especially if they had been warned about that before. I would not have had that kind of patience. The patience he showed, despite still being obviously really hot under the collar, and he still showed the type of patience and, and empathy to allow them to keep their jobs. I would have fired them on the spot. I'm not, I'm not lying. I'm not lying at all. I would have fired them on the spot, especially if they had already been warned. So no, everybody needs to grow up. Everybody needs to grow up. They got yelled at. Good. They got yelled at and hopefully they didn't make this mistake again and put other people's lives and jobs at risk. Anyway, ah, and so I get really hot on that Philadelphia. I get really hot on that issue. I just cannot believe some people. I just, I just don't. And, um, you know what? They're going to finish that movie now because they have strict rules and regulations and they have bosses in place who are going to make sure everybody pulls their weight. And uh, I, I still personally stand by it. I, and I'm not the, you guys know I am not the biggest. I think he's a tremendously talented dude. I think Tom Cruise is a tremendously talented dude. I do think he's a, a few crackers short of a full pack. I, and you all know that. I, I, I have my thoughts and my own personal opinions about Tom Cruise. But I totally agree with him in this one thing. Anyway, sorry. I went on with that one a little bit too long. All right. Just got a couple of minutes left here, guys. Um, Suthius writes, uh, your John Campia show companion videos, open mics and open spoilers, uh, spoilers hours upon hours a week of straight talking. I don't know how you do it, but your work ethic knows no bounds though. It's hard work. Uh, it shows that your, uh, shows that this career of yours definitely makes you happy. Oh, it does. I love my job. I am not going to lie though. Uh, my, th I am at least once a month. Um, I have to go through like a day where I just don't talk like at all. Uh, my, my voice does get wrecked. It was a lot easier. I'll tell you the shows when it's easier days that I have Robert on or Aaron on with me are a lot easier on me than doing companion videos because when I'm doing companion videos, it's, or, you know, the open spoiler discussions or things like that. It's just me talking straight. Like this video, uh, in particular has gone about an hour already. That is an hour straight, nonstop, just talking. Back in like my AMC days or when I have Robert on or something, it's a hell of a lot easier when you can talk for a few minutes and then let somebody else talk for a few minutes. You're giving yourself those little intermittent pieces of rest that I could go all day like that. I could go all day, but when you're talking straight, it is tough. How I did five hours the other day <laughs> with the Wonder Woman thing, I'm not really sure, but it's, it's about learning yourself. It's about learning your own voice. It, it used to be a couple of years ago that my throat would really start to hurt if I was getting really into a long show and I would just keep pushing through it and keep pushing through it, but I would, I was ending up damaging my throat. I have learned now that once I start to feel it start to hurt, don't push through it. Just to tape. If, if the video is still going, just say to people, okay, guys, listen, my, my throat's starting to get a little bit sore. Got to wrap this up. And I've learned if I stop before I push it too far, uh, then, then I'm good. Then I'm totally good the next day and ready to go again. And it's just these little things. I'm still learning how to do it properly. I'm still learning how to do it properly, but it is, it is fun. I love this job and I love what we get to do. All right. Thanks for that, Suthius. All right. Next up, Tristan Thorpe writes, <clears throat> watched Wonder Woman 84 with the family on Christmas. Overall, I thought it was fine, but I wasn't loving how I was feeling the runtime of the movie. And I don't mind slow movies, but this felt like forever. Listen, Tristan, that is absolutely one of the same uh, criticisms I have about Wonder Woman 84. Listen. Some movies run two hours long and that was simply too short for that movie and the movie felt rushed. 
Some movies are two hours long, and that was way longer than that movie should have been, and so the movie feels really slow. At two and a half hours, there are many movies that two and a half hours is a perfect runtime for, but not this movie. This this movie should not have been two and a half hours long. Especially once I, like, when I first started the movie, I saw, wow, it's two and a half hours long. Okay. But when the movie was done and I finished watching the whole thing, I was like, yeah, that movie I just watched did not need to be two and a half hours long. It, it, it is one of the, so I share the same kind of criticism you do, Tristan. All right. We'll just do K majors here and then we'll wrap things up today. K major writes, one of three. John, R2 is my second favorite character. It's amazing how many people love R2. Like the reactions in the Mandalorian season finale, obviously when Luke comes out, the biggest reaction, but almost as big when you watch all these reaction videos is when R2 comes around the corner, right? It's crazy how popular that little droid is. Anyway, uh, R2 is my second favorite character. Yoda is number one. If they go with the story that R2 saved Grogu from the temple, which I don't think they will, uh, that would make R2 the greatest MVP in Star Wars universe to me. Episode one saved Queen and helped with the destruction of droid ship. Uh, Episode two, bodyguard, of the Senator sort of episode three uh, present for the rescue present for the rescue of the chancellor of chancellor Palpatine episode four gets the plans to the rebellion, by the way, never deviated from the mission episode five. He's the reason they were able to escape cloud city, fixing the hyperdrive uh, delusions of grandeur. Indeed episode six key component to the rescue of Han Solo. Uh, No droid has been given the level of confidence His resume is unmatched. Everyone needs a friend like R2-D2. Hashtag R2 is the MVP of Star Wars. Bring on the filthy. Uh, Hey, listen, you cannot... Listen, R2 was incredibly pivotal even just to um, uh, George Lucas himself. Like, George Lucas himself, like, he loved R2. And right from the beginning, R2 and 3PO are seen as very, very central figures. 3PO, more the comic relief of the duo, uh, but R2 and what his role has been is great. Now, do I believe he is the MVP of Star Wars? No, I don't, but he has done a lot and he has often overlooked that little droid. He is often overlooked. So he is indeed a truly great, not just little droid, he is a great Star Wars character. And I think even people who didn't realize how much they love R2-D2 suddenly realized it when in that scene in Mandalorian, after all the smoke had cleared and everything was done, around the corner comes R2-D2. And everybody was just like, ah! And everybody loved seeing R2. And, and, and I'll say it again. I feel like a lot of people only then realized, wow, R2 is actually really important to me as a fan. I mean, yeah, we would always say we like R2, but I think in that moment, a lot of people realized just how much they like R2-D2. So one of the greatest fictional characters in the Star Wars universe. Again, I don't think he's the MVP, but he is truly great. All right, guys, listen, for uh, everything else still coming up, uh, Con Jampia, Ants for Day, uh, Russell Amador, and on, we will start off tomorrow's John Campia show uh, when we get to the live questions part of the show. We will start off with those ones, and we'll keep getting caught up. We still have a lot to get through, but we, get, we got through a bunch of them now. We just did an hour. We're going to get through a whole bunch more tomorrow. Thank you guys for being here and making this show a part of your day. Special thanks to all of you guys who sent in these questions for two reasons. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, because you supported this channel while you did it and all of us involved here with the John Campia show. Thank you guys very, very much 
for your support. All right, guys, make sure you do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves. Please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name is John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.